0: Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Look in Acts chapter 1 now, and we're uh, looking at a portion of Scripture that uh, follows Jesus' resurrection. That's why all these messages in this series start with rise up. And today we're talking about rising up And leading. Now, I don't know about you, but that word lead has always inspired mixed feelings in me. So I've uh, been blessed to, to hold leadership positions pretty much my entire life. I was on the student council in high school and student government in college um, and then as a missionary in Zambia, I was asked to lead the field. Uh, and, and obviously here uh, at Crosswalk, I'm the, the senior pastor, the lead pastor. And I wanted to share with you kind of how it how it kind of feels to me when I'm first asked to step into a leadership position. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you can't. But normally when I'm first asked to step into a leadership position, I kind of get filled with excitement and a little bit of surprise. Like, really? They're asking me to, to do this leadership man, this is exciting. I'm going to have a team of people around me to help me accomplish some goals. I, I really do have a vision for where I would like to see this go and, and think how amazing it would be if we all coalesced and came together around this and worked together. It's going to be amazing. And what an honor. What an honor that people, other people, think that, that I can lead this effort. Now, maybe some of you have felt like that when you have been asked at work or, or maybe in your family, you're the go-to person in, in your extended family and, and your mom, your, your aunts and uncles, your cousins, they come to you because they see you as a leader, leadership person in your family. Whether it's at work or at home or here at Crosswalk, it is, it's, it's, it's a pleasure, a joy and an honor to serve as a leader. But I said mixed feelings, didn't I? So let me tell you about the other side. After I go through that initial little period of feeling honored and excited, then I kind of in my mind switch gears. And I I start thinking about previous experiences in leadership positions where um, problems came up that I had no clue how to solve. Just standing there, scratching my head with everybody looking at me going, so Jeff, what are we going to do? And I don't know. And that's a kind of a dicey position to find yourself in. Other times where people I'm supposed to lead, maybe aren't so excited about me being the leader. Or going to the goal that I was hoping to go to. Or the pace at which I was hoping to reach that goal. And pretty soon people uh, are, are scattering. And my leadership position has now become herding cats. Have, have any of you ever been in that position? It, there's nothing more frustrating than herding cats. Let me tell you. And then of course. There are those times where it just breaks out. Into out and out. Um, you know people are going off the team, and there's gossip, and, and you're scratching your heads, and you're like, oh my goodness, clearly I am not a leader, at least not for this thing. And it, and it becomes disheartening, and discouraging, and frustrating. And so as we talk about rise up and lead, I'm imagining this morning as you hear that word lead, you're thinking kind of on on both of those sides too. What an honor it is on the one hand, and and how excited I can get about pulling a team together and and accomplishing a vision and a goal. But maybe you're also thinking on the other hand, oh my goodness, (laughs) Uh, people complaining, people wandering away from the goal, people not running as fast or, or as patiently as I would like them to on the other hand. And Me having problems that I don't know how to solve. Sign me up for that. And you might be thinking about that right now. And that's why we need this message. Because some of us are more prone to the one side over there. Some of us are more prone to think about this side. And some of us, like me, waver back and forth. And so this message is important. It's important for a second reason, though. And I want to make sure that no one checks out of this message. Thinking, I am not a leader. God did not wire me to be a leader. I don't need this message because I'm never going to become a leader. And what I want to do right now is give you a definition of leadership that I hope will persuade you to think differently. And there's no blank for this, but I want you to write this down. Leadership equals influence. Leadership equals influence. Wherever you have influence. You have leadership. And as you think through your own life. There are people that God has given you in your life. That you have influence over. It may be a few. It may be many. You may even have influence over people who influence others. But. Almost everyone, unless they're a hermit, has influence over someone in their lives. And if you don't have anyone else, even if you are a hermit, guess what? You have influence over anyone. Mm-hmm. So let me show you this diagram. When we talk about leadership, it all begins at the core. And do you see what's at the core here? We begin by learning how to lead ourselves. And that starts by obviously tapping into the big leader himself, God and his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And as we are led and become Christ followers, he, by his spirit's power and help begins to teach us and empower us to lead self, to lead ourselves. Then, then, As God increases your gifts, as you learn how to lead yourself, to control yourself, then God may give you the gift of a few other people. Even in the military, there's kind of an interesting thing. If you would happen to be a a, a very elite Navy SEAL, do you know how many other people they are typically going to give you to lead? Now, you're a Navy SEAL. You're a very capable person. Do you know what they think your span of influence is? Four to six people. Now, are there four to six people in your life that you have influence over? That without even realizing that you're providing leadership to, God may have gifted you to influence four to six others. And then beyond that, as you see from the diagram, there comes a point where God may have gifted you to move from leading yourself to leading others. To leading leaders of others. And that's where your leadership really begins to multiply. And if Christ is leading inside your heart and mind, this is how the kingdom grows. This is how God's kingdom grows and God's family grows. Christ leads you. And with his power, you begin to lead yourself. And then you are given the ability to lead others and then ultimately to lead leaders. And so, as you're sitting in this room today, and as, as I continue with this message, I want you to think to yourself, where am I on this diagram? Do I really need to focus right now on leading myself by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God? Do I need to think about the four to six others that I have quite a bit of influence over and that look to me to give them that influence and leadership in their lives? Or am I, here in the church, at home, in my family, or at work, a leader of leaders that, that I watch over. And, I keep, and how does God want me to rise up in the power of his resurrection and implement that leadership? So let's, let's dive in. I want you to hear the whole story. So take out your crosswalk notes or open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. If you have a phone app, you can use that. And I'm going to read you the whole story. Bear with me because it's a little bit long. But you'll see what's happening. This is the disciples returning from the Mount of Olives where after Jesus rose from the grave some weeks later, then he ascends into heaven. And if you remember the end of that story, the apostles are standing there staring up at the sky as Jesus has just ascended into heaven. And they don't know what to do next. And so God sends an angel and says, get going. Don't keep staring at the sky. So they, they return to Jerusalem. And that's, this is that point. This is the description of them returning to Jerusalem just after they've watched Jesus ascend to the right hand of God. Then the apostles return to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Now, so that you don't get confused, this is not Judas Iscariot, the one who had betrayed Jesus here at the end of this list. This is a second Judas. There were two named Judas among the twelve. Uh, Because you're going to hear in just a moment that that Judas Iscariot is dead and how he died. In those days, Peter stood up among... uh, Let me back up. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters... The scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With a payment he received for his wickedness, Judas, this is Judas Iscariot now, bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. So up to this point, Peter is simply developing a point, and he's saying, guys, do you notice there's an empty chair in this room? And that that leadership chair belonged to Judas. And he's about to say, here's what I think we should do. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. I want you to notice kind of the imperatives there. It is necessary. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice and Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. I'm imagining Matthias in this moment. And I, I don't know how you imagine him. But I'm thinking, first of all, he went through that thing that I go through. Like, oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? I just got, <laughs> I just got chosen to be uh, an apostle. How did this just happen? What an honor. And to be among these guys who are going to go out and witness to Christ and his salvation, forgiveness, the blood he shed on the cross and the resurrection. This is amazing. What an opportunity. And I have these guys with me. We're a whole team. Oh, my goodness. What just happened? This is great. And then I imagine him thinking about it for a few seconds. And maybe his mind delves back a little bit into the Old Testament. Starts thinking about Moses. And what Moses went through as a leader. Do you remember some of the things that he went through as a leader? Moses did not even want to accept God's invitation to lead. I can't do this, God. And God raised him up by the power of the Spirit and and made him the leader of Israel to, to guide his people from Egypt to the promised land. And along that way for 40 years, Moses endured mostly nothing but a lot of complaining, a lot of bickering, a lot of pointing fingers at his lousy leadership A lot of people saying, if only we could go back, Moses, why are you leading us to this so-called promised land? It doesn't look so promising to me with those big dudes there ready to defend it and kill all of us. And I wonder if Matthias thought for just a moment, sign me up for that. Maybe Matthias thought about Jeremiah who due to his prophetic leadership got thrown in a a cistern, which is essentially a pit for storing water. And he got to rest down there in the mud and the muck and have an occasional morsel of bread thrown down to him so that he could stay alive and be tortured down there in the darkness for a longer period of time. What a great job this is to be a leader. My office, my Office for this position is not in a corner of the building where I have a nice window view. It's down here at the bottom of this muddy, mucky pit, this swamp. Maybe he thought about Elijah, (laughs) whose whole leadership was, was practically battling, who was also supposed to be on his team, by the way, the king and queen of God's people, Do you know their names? Ahab and Jezebel. And all the way, Ahab the king and Jezebel the queen are trying to lead God's people astray while Elijah is trying to bring them back in line with God. And it gets so heated that they have this big confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And at the end of that, when Jezebel hears what the result was, she said, kill that guy, Elijah. And Elijah wanders out into the middle of the desert and goes, God, I've had enough. This is... I am done. There's no one left but me. Maybe Matthias thought about that. And I wonder if for just a moment, he thought, what about that other guy? You know, there was another guy. Maybe you could pick him instead. And so how do we respond when those same feelings about leadership come to us? Well, the very first point that I think we need to understand is throughout all the Bible, there have always been leaders. And here's the primary reason why. God has chosen in his wisdom to do something surprising. And do you know what that surprising thing is? God has chosen not to say this to himself. If you want something done right, do it. Help me. If you want something done right, do it. God certainly could have said that. I want this done right. I want my kingdom to grow. I want people to come into my church. I want people to follow Jesus as their Lord and their Savior and believe in his blood and his righteousness. I want them to believe that he did not die in vain on that cross. I want them to understand his resurrection and the power of that resurrection for their lives and for their eternal life. So if I want this job, job done right, I should do it myself. But God didn't say that, did he? God instituted this very unique divine human partnership and said, I am going to work through, uh, through the believers. I'm going to work through the church. And in this divine human partnership, I'm going to invite sinful people to come in and carry out this mission. And ultimately, they're not just going to be tens of these people. As, as this is happening the church has just gone from about five or six people standing at the foot of the cross. Remember, there was only one apostle that stood at the foot of the cross, John. Jesus' mother and a few other women. That's it. That was, that was the, the gathered church on Good Friday. As we read in the book of Acts, right here, we read that it's now grown to about 120 In just a few days, it's going to grow again exponentially as 3,000 people are converted to believe in Christ on the day of Pentecost. God knows that leaders are needed when you have that many people. And since he's chosen to work through us, that means de facto that he's chosen to need leaders. And in fact, we, we see this in the Old Testament. Remember when Moses was trying to lead all by himself? And then he got a visit from his father-in-law, Jethro, who kind of took him to the side and said, Moses, wake up. You're trying to deal with all the leadership of over a million people yourself? You're being ridiculous here. As your father-in-law, I want to teach you something about leadership. You need to equip and train and choose other leaders here Who can come alongside of you and you're going to need leaders of tens leaders of fifties leaders of hundreds and ultimately you're going to need leaders of thousands in other words you're going to have a lot of people who are still working on leading themselves but you're also going to find that amongst these people are people capable of leading others I've gifted them with that and there are even amongst this group people who are capable of being leaders of leaders find them. Choose them, equip them, train them, and make them part of your leadership team. That's what Jethro did. And it's recorded if you want to read it for yourself in Exodus chapter 18. Just as that was needed for the church of the Old Testament, it's still needed today for the church of the New Testament. And that's why Peter says what he says. So let's take a look at that very first uh, section, verse 21a. Therefore, it is what? necessary to choose. I bolded that on purpose because Peter is right. Even with just 120 people, it was necessary to choose another leader. Now, once they grow to 3000 and beyond, they're going to begin to choose. And you can read it throughout the entire book of acts, other leaders, because it will continue to be necessary to choose leaders so that God's people can be equipped and given faith and grow in their faith. So write this down. Leadership is not a luxury in the church. Leadership is not a luxury in the church. Let me talk about two things and then ultimately three about how God wants us to choose leaders in the church. And it's very important that we see this because As as we go through this, I'm going to come back to this point again and again, that God has instituted amongst us a divine human partnership. So part of the process of choosing leaders is human. Part of the process is divine. Let's talk about that human part first. Who Who are they looking for to choose? It's described in this passage. Do you remember? Peter says, we must select... One of the men, you can read it with me, who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these, notice there's that word again, must become a witness with us of his resurrection. You'll notice that I bolded those last words, a witness with us of his resurrection. What Peter is saying there is we need someone Who is qualified to be a witness. What does a witness do? A witness tells other people what he has seen. So what's the qualification for telling something what you have seen? You have to have seen it. And so when he goes back, he says, let's find someone who's seen everything that that the apostles have seen, beginning with John the Baptist doing his baptisms, ultimately baptizing Jesus, and then passing the baton on to Jesus, and a person who walked with us during his entire ministry. Sometimes people unfamiliar with the story don't realize that the followers of Jesus were more than just the 12. But what this teaches us is that the 12 were the core followers of Jesus, but there were other disciples and other followers who followed Jesus during his entire three-year ministry, and they've honed it down to two of those, and they want someone who, when they're asked, did you see this, did you personally see this, can look another person in the eye and say, yeah, I saw it, I personally saw it with my own eyes. Now, you might be saying, how does that apply to me? It applies directly to you because all of us have also personally seen seen Jesus work in our hearts, on our minds, and in our lives. And still today, what Jesus is looking for in leadership are people who are willing to say, this is what I've seen. This is what I've noticed My heart was over here, and when Jesus started working on it, it moved. It moved big time. My worldview changed. My motivations changed. My marriage changed. My family changed because my heart changed. Jesus led me. I began to lead myself. Then others came, a few others at first, and I began to exert influence on them. And ultimately... I I have now been able to not only lead others, but even lead leaders for some of us. But I saw the change happen personally. Let me tell you my story. Do you know that's really what most witnessing is still today? Is let me tell you the story of what Jesus has done in my life for my heart, for my mind, for my family. For the way I interact with people at work, for the way I deal with things in my extended family, for, for the way I help in my, in my neighborhood with my neighbors. All those things, we can see the change and we can witness to the change. A leader must be selected carefully, this is your fill-in, on the basis of qualifications. Even here at Crosswalk, if, if you want to step into a leadership position on a volunteer team or, or maybe become an elder or a director, you'll go through some interviews and you'll go through a process that allows other church members to help you see what your qualifications best suit you for. Because we all have gifts and talents from God. And sometimes it helps to have another person who helps us see that. The person who leads up the effort for that is in this room. I'm going to point her out and embarrass her. Raise your hand, Katie. You knew this was coming, didn't you? No, you didn't. I surprised you. That's the girl. She is the one that is in charge of our human efforts to make sure your gifts and the position make a nice fit. And as you go through that process of what we call our volunteer management team, you discover where your gifts best suit you. Later on, there's going to be a next step that allows you to say, I'd love to be a leader or a servant or a team member at Crosswalk. Ultimately, when you do that, you're going to encounter someone from Katie's team. All right, so a leader must be selected carefully on the basis of qualifications because there is a human element to this. But there is also a divine element. Remember, human-divine partnership. Look at what they were doing. And it says, by the way, before it gets here, you'll probably recall this. This was just their default mode This is what they were doing as they waited for the day of Pentecost. They just huddled up constantly and prayed. So they were were all about connecting with God and hearing from God. And now they come to a specific prayer. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. So first of all, I bolded. They prayed because they understood that leadership in the kingdom of God, leadership in the church is not just a human process. It's a divine process. And they knew that they needed the Lord's help. They needed the Lord's wisdom. They needed the Lord's intervention in this process to choose the right person who would step up and be called an apostle alongside of them. And notice also, if you, if, you, uh, if you remember the phrase, they even say, whom you have chosen to become alongside of us. They knew that chemistry between the apostles was going to be an important thing, that they had to serve together as a team. But I want to point out something even more important than that. Do you see the second words that I bolded there in that passage? Do you see what they didn't pray? They did not pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two we should choose. That's not what they prayed. They prayed past tense with the Lord himself as the subject. Show us which of these two you, Lord, have chosen for this position of being an apostle. And still today, prayer and connecting with God and realizing that this, this thing called the church, crosswalk church, is a divine human partnership. We need to be constantly in prayer. Right now, uh, there was, a, there was a, a blurb several months ago in, uh, in the program. That, that definitely showed uh, that we're looking for a, a, a director for our board of directors. And, and I want you to know that as, as the board of directors selects that kind of leader, we don't do it quickly. In, in the human side of the process, we take our time. There's an interview, there's a process. But also, we don't do it quickly because we want plenty, plenty of time to pray about it. And ask for the Lord's guidance and help the way these guys did. And do you know why leaders are important? One of the things that we have to understand why these guys thought leadership was necessary. Let let me give you a list of why leaders are necessary. I'm going to give you that list. First of all, leaders are needed to paint a picture of a preferred future. Michelle, our architect and a member of this church drew those beautiful drawings because she's gifted to do so. And I don't know about you, but when I first saw those drawings that you just saw today, I got pretty excited. Wow, this could be our new home. Michelle, as a leader with the gifts that she's been given, painted a beautiful picture of a preferred future that is us owning and living in our own home as Crosswalk Church. That's what leaders do. They paint a picture. Leaders are also necessary because they point the way. How are we going to get there? What's the process? What are the steps? All organizations, including churches, need leaders who will point the way. Leaders are important too because they prepare the culture. Some people, let me use this illustration, are thermometers. You know what a thermometer does? A thermometer reads the temperature. It tells you what the temperature is. And I will tell you that in most organizations, there are a lot of thermometers. Pastor, let me tell you what's going on here at your church. And when I hear your church, not our church, I, all know, I always know what's coming. But what we need and what leaders are are not thermometers. They're thermostats. And, and the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat is a thermometer... Only reads the temperature and tells you what it is. A thermostat sets the temperature. If you change the thermostat in your home, it kicks on your heat pump and it cools it, cools it off or heats it to the temperature that the thermostat sets. Leaders are thermostats, not thermometers. And it's all about culture. And so leaders look at those banners differently. Because there are thermostats, not thermometers. And the banners I'm referring to are the ones hanging up there saying, we aspire in our culture to be a caring community of believers, to, be, to, to have real Bible teaching, to be outreach oriented. I won't go through them all. You're saying, you're saying thank you for the mercy, Pastor Jeff. But here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If you want to be a thermostat, your first little action is to just go out there and stare at those and say, do I believe in these? Do I agree with these? and once you're there to say, am I willing to be a person in this congregation who gets us to have this culture? That's what makes you a thermostat. What can I do? If, if we're going to be a caring community of believer, believers, maybe it starts with me noticing a guest and saying, hey, how can I help you? Do you need to be uh, Taken over to children's ministry? Can I show you into the auditorium? Being a caring community starts with me. Because I'm a thermostat, not just a thermometer. Th- these are the things that, that leaders do and why they are a must and, and not a luxury. And why we select them, not just carefully, but also prayerfully. All right? All right. Ultimately, a leader is selected on the basis of his heart. See that passage? Ultimately, a leader is selected on the basis of his heart. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's, what is it? Heart. We need someone who can take over this apostolic ministry. What the apostles wanted was someone who was passionate about Jesus. Passionate about the change that Jesus had made in their lives, in their hearts, in their eternities. Because what they were going to need is someone who would take on an apostolic ministry. Let me explain what that means. Do you know what an apostle is? An apostle is someone who is willing to be sent out with the word of God. In other words, they needed someone who was willing to go to unfamiliar places, leave their home behind, leave their family sometimes behind, go to unfamiliar places, to unfamiliar people, introduce themselves, start a conversation with people who aren't their friends or their family members, who are strangers. And then get to the point where they would share Jesus with them and share salvation and forgiveness and the resurrection and the empty tomb. They needed people who were willing to take on that tough job. And they knew they needed the Lord's help. They would have to select that person carefully and prayerfully. And that is still what Jesus needs today. People with a passionate heart who are willing to go out and know that when the gospel is taught in this community, it's gonna, it is going to make amazing changes, who believe in their gut. That we have been given a priceless treasure, which is this message of Jesus Christ. And that when it's taught and when people are brought in and when we bring a friend or a family member or a neighbor and introduce them to the cross, the empty tomb, to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we are changing everything for them in the most positive way. We need people who are so overflowing in their hearts that they can't stop thinking, oh my goodness, God has done so much for me, so amazingly much for me. I can't just stand here and and take and take and take and receive and receive and receive. I've got to help others receive this gift. I've got to help others see Jesus. Jesus and the difference Jesus can make in their lives. That's what they were looking for, and that's what the church is still looking for. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Ultimately, a leader is selected on the basis of his heart. And, and, and I'll just say this, his servant's heart and his missionary's heart, if you want to write those down. What the Lord is looking for Is people who have a servant's heart, who are willing to humble themselves and serve others. And people who have a missionary's heart, who want to reach out with Jesus to the world. Last point. If you are this person, and remember, you are this person. Because you may only be at the level of leading yourself. You may be at the level of only leading a few other people. Or you may be leading leaders, but you are this person. Here's the last thing that that God says to us today. There's starting power, meaning you you need to have the strength from the Holy Spirit, His anointing to say, I'll sign up. I'll help. I want to serve. I want to reach out. I want to lead. And if you're there today... I encourage you to write that down somewhere on your communication card so we can follow up with you. You may be at the position where you're saying, I just, I need to lead myself first. And that's okay. But what Paul is going to teach you ultimately is, if you're a leader, you must also be willing to be a loser. And here's what I mean by that. That leaders have to be willing to give up other things As a loss in order to focus on the greatest gain, which is Christ and his kingdom. In the church, a leader has to be willing to jettison and shed things that aren't on point with the mission in order that they can be on point with the mission. I want you to see the apostle Paul. Now, there's a part of this I haven't put in the notes, but look at this. Isn't that cool? I took the the person in the projection booth off guard. I can tell that. They're like, really? That's where he's at right now? Sorry. Anyway, notice. Just read that. I'm not going to read it for you. Just look at that. This is the Apostle Paul. Do you see that he was willing to be a loser? To jettison things that didn't really matter. So that he could focus on gaining Christ. How that ends is in your notes. Let's look at it together. I want to know Christ. That's my focus. And if that means losing everything else, that's okay. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is all about staying power and finishing power. It's one thing to say, I'll step up into a position of serving And reaching out and leading. But ultimately, we need leaders who last. And leaders who last are leaders who are willing to lose for the sake of Christ. Write this this down. Leaders last by losing themselves. Not only for Christ, but in Christ. I want to gain Christ. I'm all about him and faith in him. Now, let me just close this way. Why? Why? Why would Moses do what he did despite all the pain for 40 years? Why would Jeremiah sit in the bottom of a pit? Why why would Elijah get to the point of, I give up, I can't handle anymore, I'm so depressed. Why would Paul the apostle himself say, I can't take it anymore. I'm even despairing of my own life, not just my ministry and my job, but my life. Why would they do that? And why would you do that? We would do that because of what Christ has done for us first. We would do that because we we say to ourselves, I have been given so much by God. It's incredible. And I cannot possibly, I cannot keep this to myself. We would do that because we are building God's kingdom together. It's a divine human partnership. We would do that because we want this church to be a church that our children and grandchildren love to attend. We would do that because we want this church to be a place that we could be excited about in inviting our coworker or our neighbor or especially our friend to come with us and hear about God and hear and learn about Jesus. We, we would do that because... We know what happens when people who are lost never get found by Jesus. And in this divine human partnership, we want to create a space where people who maybe haven't ever felt comfortable or at ease in church, feel comfortable here and at ease here. But brothers and sisters, just like it did in the day of Moses still today, for that to happen... For all that to happen, leaders are needed. And so I want to I lay this on your heart a little bit today and, 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 and remind you of the cross, the empty tomb. As, as Paul says here, I want to know Christ and to know the powers of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. To lay it on to you that Jesus has done so much for you. Are you willing to do much for him? And to lead, not just here at Crosswalk, although that's important and we need you, but also in your families and at your places of work and in your neighborhoods. Will you lead? Will you step up and say, I can serve God and I can serve Christ as he has first served me. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you have given us your son And in giving us Jesus, your son, you have given us forgiveness and salvation and new life. You have changed the trajectory of our lives, not just for today or tomorrow or for years to come, but for eternity. Lord, because of that, I ask you to empower all of us in this room. Sinners that we are, but forgiven sinners that we are. To to step alongside of you in this divine human partnership called the church. And to be willing, first of all, to lead ourselves. And then according to the gifts you've given us, maybe to lead a few others, four, five, six others. And then again, according to the gifts you give, maybe one day to lead leaders. Lord, you know who we are. You know what you've chosen us to do. And we pray to you today, help us to see where we can serve to extend your kingdom and invite more people into your family through Jesus. We ask this in his name. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I want to thank all of you again for joining us today. And before I send you out with the Lord's blessing, I just want to remind you of that bottom line. Leaders last by losing themselves in Christ. We will have a lasting supply of leaders and volunteers in this church if we as a church lose ourselves in Christ. Jesus is the answer to this, to leadership, like he is the answer to our salvation. And he's the answer to your ability to lead, influence others. Lose yourself in Christ and you'll find yourself to be lifted up as a leader in God's kingdom and able to influence others for Christ. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you back here next week.